Hello, Heidi McDonald, live at SPX, Small Press Exmo in Bethesda, Maryland. And I am sitting right now with Jeff Trexler, the acting... Interim. Interim executive director of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Um, so Jeff uh, smiles. He's smiling. If you could see him, he has a big <laughs> smile on his face. And, and in fact, he has a little a, a brief in front of him called Victory in Virginia. Uh, Jeff, you just did have a huge, huge relief, a huge triumph um, for genderqueer that turned out it wasn't obscene. Of course, anyone who had any knowledge of obscenity laws knew it wasn't, but uh, yeah, uh, what, what's your feeling? I mean, it was a victory. Was it a total victory, a complete victory? A part, what, what kind of victory was this? Well, for our side of gender, be our side being gender queer. The, the the word that immediately came to mind is it was a resounding victory. Okay, because Excellent. it was a victory that was heard nationwide. I mean, this was a case brought in one jurisdiction, Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh, and I I imagine most people who are listening to this uh, wouldn't be able to name five other one other <laughs> case that has been brought in Virginia Beach, Virginia over the past year. But this is, this is a case that made, you know, the Washington Post, the New York Times, Slate, this is something where, where everybody's talking about and everybody's talking about how significant it is. When you think about what the judge did, and so the, most judges in a local court are not going to say, this statute is unconstitutional. Um, this was a very dramatic decision. Right, and that it actually struck down mm -hmm. parts of the law that were the basis for the case, yes. correct? Yeah. yeah. Virginia has a statute, 18.2-384, I know it well, <laughs> uh, which gives the resident, gives a citizen of any jurisdiction the authority to bring a case against a book. You know how, uh, like when you watch John Oliver and he talks about how the police can seize cars, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and the, uh, the car is guilty of the crime. Right. Well, this is a case like that. It's a person can bring a case against a book and have it declared obscene. And if it is, then uh, there are a couple things. One, uh, there can be a temporary restraining order, which this guy asked for, that would ban distribution of the book in that jurisdiction or possibly the entire state. Uh, there have been some discussion of what the scope of the order in this case. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that anybody who was distributing the book after this, if it were found to be obscene, uh, would be presumed to have uh, what's called scienter or knowledge that they were distributing obscene material, which means that makes it a lot more likely that they could be convicted of a crime. Mm, okay. Right. Uh, and this was struck down. Or and this was, was struck down. Right. And it was, there were several effects of the case. There were several things that the, um, that the judge did in the order. Uh, one was, right, knock down the statute. Uh, there were questions of due process. Uh, who could be affected by this? One of the things that the judge mentioned was, uh, does this case apply to people who just drive? If it's found obscene, mm -hmm. could anybody who drives through Virginia, and if a mother gives the book to her child, would she be presumed to be knowing that she was giving a quote-quote obscene book mm -hmm. uh, to somebody because she was driving from New York to Florida and just happened to cross through this jurisdiction? Um, what about all the booksellers outside of Barnes & Noble who received notice in this case who could be affected by this? Uh, there were a lot of questions about due process here, mm -hmm. and the judge said, you know what, she didn't even know everybody who'd be affected by this. Uh, striking that was that the bill was just too broad in terms of its effects. Mm -hmm. 
Um, another thing that she talked about was prior restraint in the First Amendment, basically saying you're prohibiting, the state's basically saying you can't distribute this book, you can't right. sell this book. Uh, and and this is one where it gets a little technical, so I hope you don't mind if I can No, go technical. ahead. And I'm going to uh, uh, read just, just very specifically. The petition does not allege facts sufficient to support a finding that the book is obscene, mm-hmm. right? Fairly so, clear, fairly clear, clear there. Well, it's technical legalese mm-hmm. for something really interesting that we had to do. The, uh, the petitioner, it, federal obscenity law, it says that obs- uh, obscene material is an exception for First Amendment protection. So obscene material is not protected by the First Correct. Amendment. But the law tries to narrow what can be found obscene. If you look at the uh, Miller case uh, that formulated the current test, it talks about how really that it's really aimed just at hardcore pornography, mm-hmm. right? And, and Miller was that Henry Miller? So uh, Miller against California. I don't. Okay, so. all right. I know there was a that was a book that was uh, very much yeah. censored. But anyway, I'm sorry. And, and you know, it's funny. I just I honestly don't remember who the mm-hmm. plaintiff okay. was in that case. I just know the name Miller against California. Right. And the contents of the case, and mm-hmm. I never thought to remember who the thing is. So, so that mm-hmm. apologize, memory no? blip. Okay, it's a lot to keep up there. A lot to keep up with. Um, so the the Miller test says you have to look at the totality mm-hmm. of the material, right. all of the material. Um, so there's is it period? Does it appeal to the period interest mm-hmm. as judged by community standards? Is it patently offensive to again community standards? And there's a third one that has no community standards, which is the to- is the totality of the work. Um, does it have literary, artistic, um, political, or scientific? Value? Right, right. And so the person who pled, the, who filed this petition, didn't include filings about community standards. Mm-hmm. And with respect to the literary and artistic and political and scientific quality, he argued that this local court judge should overrule the Supreme Court in Miller and say that times have changed and that um, in, the ni- in the 1970s, you didn't have books like Genderqueer available to children. And so the totality test should no longer apply. He should be able to have this book declared obscene on the basis of a few select images, not the totality of the work, not the literary value, artistic value, scientific and political value of the work, of which there is a lot. Of course, absolutely. Already an award-winning right. book. Award-winning book. It's a hot political issue exploring mm-hmm. the ramifications. It's been the subject of Supreme Court case. It's... Um, I mean, the issue of mm-hmm, transgender mm-hmm. identity recently protected and protections yeah. by the Supreme Court. Uh, there's scientific discussions in the book, uh, great literary and artistic work. So, I mean, it's, it's there. He says, ignore all that, just focus on the images. And so when the, the court says the petition does not allege facts to support a finding that the book is obscene, that's referring to that argument. Mm-hmm. That's saying that uh, you didn't give me enough. You have to give me totality. You have, mm-hmm. to, you have to look at the work and you have to talk about community standards with respect to period interest, community standards with respect to patently offensive. You didn't plead that, mm-hmm. therefore, out. Wow. Uh, so, so if the yeah, if the petitioner were to appeal and say, "Well, I, I think this statute should be found constitutional," uh, I, he also had he he was also trying to have it declared obscene as to minors, not as to adults, just mm-hmm. get it banned. Which is not there. There, there. That is not even a concept. Like, well, it actually is. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a Supreme Court case decades ago. Um, that where the Supreme Court did say, it's called Ginsburg, 
where the Supreme Court did say that you could find material obscene as to minors, that it could appeal to their pure interest, be patently offensive as to minors, and not have these, these values as to minors. Um, it could be obscene as to minors, but not as to adults. Right. The idea is to, um, back then, the idea was, it was to allow, with that material, bookstores could like put it on a higher shelf. Right. You know, right. Like, sell it to it. Let's think, the, the subject of that case, what they call girly magazines. Mm -hmm. you know, wow. Uh, wow. It would be stuff that maybe for adults wasn't really that shocking, but for kids right. would be problematic. Right. So the idea is you could have it, like when I was getting books at the drugstore, my comics, like um, Mad Magazine was put on a tall shelf with National Lampoon. Oh, Mad Magazine. The, the Hulk Magazine. Which, which is, they're not, right. I mean, those were definitely like PG-13, yeah. so if they, anything. It, it was put up on the but high shelf. But they were with, subversive. It was put up on the high shelf with Playboy and Penthouse. Wow. Wow. Well, and, ideas, yeah. Yeah, and so the idea, so the Supreme Court does have that concept. So mm -hmm. he's arguing this is obscene as to minors. It's not mm -hmm. obscene as to adults. Uh, but the problem here is that in Virginia, there was a separate statute for how you deal with material obscenes to minors, and it didn't include this temporary restraining order. Mm -hmm. It didn't give anybody the authority to take it into court. And so that was also... Right. A, a and problem. just to be clear, I think, like, this... People called it a lawsuit, but it was a petition, which is a little mm -hmm. bit different, technically. Yeah, I mean, correct? it's like... I mean, you could... And, and part of it just goes how you define sure, a sure, lawsuit. Sure, sure, sure. I, know okay. I, I think I said in a different interview, it wasn't a traditional what you would think was a lawsuit. Like, um, you think in a criminal action, mm -hmm. the traditional one is against a person. Right. And then we have what's called an in rem, which is against an item, a thing. Mm -hmm. Latin, rem is yeah. race, the item word for, Latin word for thing. So uh, this is a literally an action against the book mm -hmm. with okay. also notice to Barnes & Noble that they'd be right. implicated right. in this. Uh, and so, I mean, the judge talked about this from the bench. I mean, this is this is a book on trial, mm -hmm. yeah. which is something that just really doesn't. I mean, that hasn't happened in the United States. I was going to ask you. I mean, when is the last? Do you know? And if you don't know the answer, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious. I mean, when is the last time something was found to be obscene? Well, there have there have been cases, and I know I've been somewhat quiet with mm -hmm. respect to the mm -hmm. things in the CBLDF. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to focus on the work for a while. Uh, there have been there have been cases that have been brought to us where a lot of it was hentai and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Okay. Um, okay. And so there 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 have I could tell you some cases in mm -hmm. certain states where people were found guilty of okay. possessing obscene material. Okay. It it has happened, mm -hmm. um, but uh, work that we have found ourselves having to defend things like gender queer. Uh, there's another another case we got involved in where somebody's being threatened with jail mm -hmm. for distributing a certain work. A retailer, actually. Mm -hmm. Wow. And we were able to help that retailer avoid having charges pressed. So, so I mean, allowing ourselves a very brief moment for, you know, to savor this victory, this, this resounding victory, uh, unfortunately, the reality is uh, it's kind of just the start. I mm -hmm. mean, yeah. you told me you already have three other cases that you're yeah. working on. Yeah. And... This, as we know, is a contam contagion mm -hmm. of lawsuits, petitions, book bannings, you know, librarians. You, you told me, I saw you in April, or maybe mm -hmm. it was a year, you know what, it was a year ago at San Diego Special Edition, and when this stuff was just starting up, and you told me, you know, librarians might be threatened with jail, and yep. I thought you were being an alarmist, Jeff. And tragically, you're not. No. I mean, this is, I mean, how bad, how bad is this? 
I can tell you that we have received, uh, we've been, we've had out, we've had outreach from several librarians in several jurisdictions across the country uh, who are having to, without going into too fine sure. detail, who are being informed that they are at risk of going to prison. Wow. And how to get out of that is involves some education, some negotiation. Uh, it's a very delicate situation, and it's this obscenus to minors. Mm -hmm. I, I know I did, I did an interview, it was around a year ago, where I predicted that this would happen, that this obscenus to minors aspect of it was going to be the wedge. Because mm -hmm. what I had seen in Texas, which is where there was a Leander, Texas, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff right, comes out of this. Right, right, right. Um, is that people were starting to have this talk that these conversations that this was pornography or child pornography, children shouldn't see this, comics were subliterate, comics were particularly problematic. There's a pas passages in the briefs about how uh, comics are uniquely dangerous in terms of their influence on young minds. Mm -hmm. um, so I was seeing this seeing this happen in Texas, and then Texas was a model for the people in Virginia who wanted to get Youngkin elected, um, where they, they saw that in Texas, people were going to school boards that were that were being broadcast live on YouTube. So what the people in Virginia figured out was they could take images. The cool thing about graphic novels is you could take images from the graphic novels and hold them up and they'd yeah. be shown on YouTube and then you would put excerpts right. on Twitter and they'd go viral. And this helped elect Governor Youngkin. I told my staff and several people privately, I said, look at the Virginia election. If Governor Youngkin, if, if Youngkin comes close or wins, People are going to attribute that victory in large part to this issue, and you're going to see this all around the country. And what happened was he wins, and bang, it wow. just starts spreading. The same arguments. I'd be willing to bet, if you look at the brief, I didn't include the whole brief there, but if you look at the briefs of the other side, I'm not sure he even read the book. He just, he's using the same excerpts, the same accusations, that people are making about gender oh, queer yeah. that show if you read the book you would know that these aren't like one of the biggest accusations we hear everywhere is it's child pornography it shows children having sex mm -hmm. and every image they show is from where maya's talking about college mm -hmm. right I, i'm sorry right. yes it's college Unless it's like Duke, Duke well Hauser situation, i mean it's not the, gonna the major major fallacy that i've seen is that they say it's a book for children and yeah. it's never been marketed, marketed for children that way at all. No. it's never it's always been an adult graphic novel mm -hmm. and you know that is just plain wrong and i mean it did win the alex award which is for young adults mm -hmm. yeah. young adult fiction and guess what young adults have are not children mm -hmm. they're young yeah. adults yeah. so i mean they're there i i do think it's fair to say uh, of course, I haven't seen it in the depth you have, but it's fair to say that most of these arguments are very bad faith. I would say that, I mean, that, that was my impression. Mm -hmm. uh, because again, it just reads like a bunch of stuff from Twitter right. that isn't really well thought. Uh, I want to, I, I think there's a reason why he argues that we shouldn't be looking at the book in the whole because, <laughs> the because whole, he knows because if you look at the book in the, the whole. whole it's, a, it's a brilliant book. But one of the things that, that it's was very- flattering, actually. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I wanted to do in the briefs and the briefs do is, and, and I want to do in this interview, is highlight that this is, yes, it's an attack on one book. Um, and we're seeing attacks on this book and a number of other graphic novels nationwide. But at the, underneath all of this, 
there's an attack on graphic novels and the comic arts mm -hmm. generally as a whole as a medium um, they are there were arguments made in this case including in court both on the briefs and in the court that the nature of comics is such that it is uniquely dangerous there's something about the image and the word mm -hmm. together on a page that corrupts young minds in a way that nothing else does so this, this is arguments again. very worth and it's it's worth a mask and there's also a new twist which is that we're seeing books that have the same things discussed in detail in text they're allowed to stay in libraries they're allowed to stay in stores they're not right. being found obscene or being accused of being obscene but graphic novels are like you see where um the, the, the really textbook cases are where they will ban the diary of Anne frank the graphic novel, but not the text version. Mm -hmm. Or the lottery, the adaptation of the short story, but not the short How story. How are you banning the diary of Anne Frank? Uh, there's some stuff where she starts talking about uh, sexuality, awakening sexuality, and that's uh, a problem. And it's, as with Mouse, I think there's also representations of violence mm -hmm. that, are, that are seen as problematic. Yes, violence. It's called the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. yeah. Six million Jews died and millions of other people. Yeah died so, it was violent history is violent so this is an attack on visual representation mm. saying you can't represent certain issues you it's the images it's a fusion of word and images and one of the things i said and i know i think i said it in the briefs and i know i've said it various times afterwards is this is like it is so reminiscent to me of decades ago uh, when you know you had loving against virginia and interracial marriage which mm. reports as constitutionally protected Jesus but age. growing up when i was i did in the 70s and 80s you'd still hear a bunch of people say well you know we agree that everybody should have the right to marry whoever they want but it's really not good for the kids to see that kids to see and that. i've heard people say that when bowers when when um the, the supreme court ruling against uh, that, that that said uh, homosexuality could be legal and that was overturned mm -hmm. and then gay marriage was legitimized He's like, well, okay, we agree with the right to do it, but kid, it's, it's, it's too much for the kids. It's all about the children. And now people are saying, well, it's okay that the Supreme Court has rec protected transgender identity um, and same-sex relationships in the workplace and all that sort of thing. But you just can't show it. Nobody can see it. And that's what's going on here. It is an attack on our very mode of communication mm -hmm. and just to be clear like there was a co-defendant in this mm -hmm. in this case that was a prose book yes right? it was a prose on, book. Yep. On the, the name of the book as i court of mr fury yeah it's i always forget it it's, i don't know court of mr fury it's a really good title mm -hmm. um and a good book mm -hmm. and it wasn't obscene so uh i so what's i mean this case garnered a lot of attention because mm -hmm. it was so stark uh, but I mean, is there another case that's that's well known that you see coming up that could, could be a huge danger, or what's the next threat? What's the next big wave, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, well, I do think that the the prospect this was an this was an action against a book, mm -hmm. uh, and I do think there's a real likelihood that we're going to find somebody uh, put behind bars, mm -hmm. and that is going to be in a very interesting situation. Uh, once, once it gets to actual human beings, I so mean, I do think this, that's going to be an issue. This could be like a librarian or a bookseller. Or a librarian, or a bookseller could even be a private individual, right. depending on the law right. in which they're charged. Right. So I, I do see that as a possibility. Um, I think that the, there are two things that 
one I think is that it's a real tragedy that's happening right now that isn't being talked about as much as it should. Uh, and we'll, we'll just go into that before I, I go into the second thing. Uh, and that's si the silent censorship. Mm. Um, and there are two types. One, I know that certain books are getting a bump in sales. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about more mouse sold a lot, oh, genderqueer yeah. selling more, and that sort of thing. But what we're also seeing is that a number of books aren't being purchased, by, not just by libraries, and that sort of thing, they're not being acquired by publishers uh, because they could be considered to be too controversial. Uh, and so, you know, you can't, you can't go into court for that. It just doesn't, the person just gets a ding letter and then they, they right. don't get their book or the book just doesn't get ordered. Um, there are library, a number of librarians out there and you know, booksellers, book buyers for, for comic shops and bookstores and that sort of thing where they're just afraid of what's going to happen in their local jurisdiction and so they do not get the book. Well, and that's really hard to fight. I've, yes, and I've already heard about some cartoonists who are talking about how they are pitching new work or trying yeah. to get a publisher for new work and if it does touch on some controversial themes that there are being told don't do this oh you know maybe by their agents yeah. or maybe the agents are being getting pushed back from publishers but yeah that's the prior restraint that you're talking and, about and we're seeing and it's it's an insidious kind yeah because it's not like you have a court declaration it just happens right and you have people en masse uh reporting tweets facebook accounts and that sort of thing for being for promoting child pornography for being associated with certain books Algorithms have been tweaked to screen certain things. I mean, the, the incident that I was really kind of stunned by, there was a period of time in the case where several days happened. It was in the heat of the case. And I didn't receive any email with respect to the case. None. And it was after the book, after the petitioner accused the book of being child pornography. And all of a sudden, I'm not getting things from fellow lawyers, nothing. And I started looking on my email, nothing in spam. All of my material for this case, for various flagging and this sort of things algorithmically, was going to spam. Wow. Was going to trash. Wow. Skipping the inbox, skipping the spam box. Oh. It went right to trash, trash to get deleted. And I even did experiments. I even did this mm. in some people's offices to, to watch, where I would I would take a thread out of trash, email myself myself from the thread, and uh -huh. the entire thread would be kicked down to trash. Because Google was because Google, Google seeing mention seen of this book, book and mention of this as wow. And so. When you think about, you know, someone at Facebook once told me algorithms are stupid, mm -hmm. and so if you if you're trying to, we did a panel at Comic Con on this. We recently replicated in New York. Um, if people are programming al algorithms to ban certain things from from Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Uh, it could come down to the usage of certain words. It could come down to the usage of percentage of skin that's shown uh, in a, a drawing or in a thing. It could be a certain theme, like what eBay did after it started receiving complaints uh, from different countries outside the U.S. said that it was that homosexuality is a threat to their national security, and so then they would ban eBay from their jurisdictions wow. if they kept this material out that was accessible to people, and that's why eBay starts reorganizing things so that Yahweh gets us like and, off in some and, far corner. And these are not, these are algorithms. These are not human. No. This is not, a, you know, a screening committee. This is not a human double checking. These are just algorithms. And, you know, there was the case with the 
uh, you know, father who said that the photos, the ch- you know, Google flag father, yep. uh, the yeah. child, and now he's being branded a child molester yeah. because he sent the doctor a photo of his yeah. of his young son, and um, and Google won't relent on it. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, uh, yeah, there's just so many levels. Um, but just to try to end this on a little bit of an upbeat note, but there is pushback. I mean, there is mm-hmm. like you know, in Texas, where so much of this has come from. I mean, I know there was a big article about the town that has been like you know persecuting librarians and threatening mm-hmm. librarians and but the parents are beginning who do believe the freedom of speech are beginning to fight back yeah. and there are competing like um, you know competing grassroots organizations now like they're yeah. starting to be more grassroots yeah. that is in favor of uh, freedom of speech yeah uh, and and what's really heartening to me is how many parents and teachers have come to us and said we want to protect comics mm-hmm. because we feel like if pe- if kids are going to communicate, if they're going to learn how to use PowerPoint, they're going to learn how to use videos, they need to be able to understand the language of comics. The language of comics is the language of all communication in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And people are realizing that. Um, and, and it's the other thing they're realizing is that depicting all kinds of lifestyles is incredibly important. If the Supreme Court is saying that everything is going to be protected here, then we need to be able to talk about it. Kids need to be able to explore it. Uh, And comics are a great way to do it because comics are a place where you can explore these things. You can explore sexuality and that sort of thing. And there are no physical consequences to the child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is, that's why we have imagination and and models in our mind and and, and that sort of thing. It's it's a literature and art are are great ways to work through various things in terms of identity. Um, Just like playing a game is a good way to learn social skills. Well, comics are, have, have, you know, traditionally, I say traditionally, like over the last 60 years, become a medium of uh, biography, autobiography, autobiography. I mean, it really is a very, very powerful uh, way to tell a personal story. I mean, you know, you can't really make a one million, twenty million, hundred million dollar autobiographical movie unless no. you're Steven Spielberg, and right, then you right, can right, do right. it. But aside from him, you know, it's very hard to do that. Whereas just a person who can draw, can write, can, can tell their story yeah. in a way that connects with with everybody. Right, right. Comics show us who are who we are. Remember what Jules um, uh, Jules Pfeiffer talks about this uh, in the great comic book Heroes where he talks about how you know he started reading comics and no, no sooner does he read it than he wants to draw them right. and he had that radio right. comics thing in there. Marshall McLuhan when he talks about comics being a participatory medium he says the thing about comics is people don't just want to read them they want to create them they or do. they want to dress up as the characters mm-hmm. or they want to create fandoms you know there's it's it's, it's an very immersive part- medium. It is very immersive and very very participatory so um, it's, it is very important. And you're right. You know, it was Scott McCloud who said, predicted that comics would become the, you know, the medium of the 21st century. And we certainly are uh, learning, you know, our visual literacy and our video literacy and all of that mm-hmm. is, is very much the forefront. Um, well, Jeff, uh, this is, uh, you know, heartening and disturbing, very scary. But, uh, you know, it's good to know that people like yourself are uh, battling for, mm-hmm. for just, you know, for the ability to read uh, the freedom of speech and for comics and comics is something that is the forefront of freedom of speech. Uh, where can we find you next or what should we look for next? What is our next 
you know, are you doing? Are you going to New York Comic Con? Will you be? Doing I'm going to New York Comic Con. We're doing a panel on Monday, mm -hmm. uh, Monday at noon, mm -hmm. on uh, with my co-counsel in the case, mm -hmm. uh, Steve Emmert. I uh, was an amazing Virginia lawyer. Mm -hmm. He's been valuable to everything we did. Uh, we're having another panel on Thursday uh, with, with um, two stars of, mm -hmm. of graphic novels mm -hmm. uh, talking, including including Maya, uh, interviewing their experience mm -hmm. in this in this thing. So it's uh, it's going to be a, we have. If you're interested in these cases, mm -hmm. if you're interested in gender queer, if you're interested in flamer, you know, if you're interested in uh, the law, mm -hmm. uh, we have panels for all of those interests coming up on Monday and Thursday. And also check out cbldf.org. CBLDF.org, yeah. a lot of material up there also. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the battle continues. Unfortunately, we're all being drawn into the battle whether we want it or not. And uh, we'll price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Jeff, it's great talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks so much. And as always, there'll be more to come. Hello, back from SBX, and I am here with... Maya Kobabe. Uh, Maya, how's your day going? It's been really nice so far. Yeah, I love this show. Yes, it is truly awesome. This is where I first met you, when you were first nominated for Ignatz. How long ago was that? Uh, my first nomination was in 2017, but I didn't make it to that show. Mm -hmm. And I did make it in 2019 when Genderqueer was nominated. That's right. Oh, was that the first time? I feel like I had met you somewhere before that. But, Possibly. But, mm -hmm. I couldn't say. It's been lost to the mist of time. I know, it time. is. We do get into the mist of time. Well, Maya, I, I did want to talk to you about some stuff that's been in the news of late. A lot of people are talking about it, and I really do have to ask you. So what do you think of uh, Rings of Power and Lord of the Rings? Did I Lord have not seen Rings of Power yet. <laughs> I am a big Tolkien fan. I loved the movies. I've read the books many times. When I was a teenager, I read that um, Christopher Lee said he'd read the books every single summer for 20 years. And at 13, I took this as a challenge and decided that I would also do so. I made it five years in a row for reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy and then decided maybe I could see other books. Um, <laughs> But I'm not much of a TV watcher. Um, I have very little time for it. I really thrive on audio media um, because I listen to things while I'm drawing. So I have not tried the TV series yet. I hear good things. I do wish the elves were wearing wigs. Yes. But um, that's yes. kind of all I can say of having watched it yet. Well, there was actually a big controversy about it. Uh that was that the elves are shown wearing plate mail and uh, actually Tolkien does not ever mention plate mail he's always about there wearing chain mail yes. and so uh, that is a real discrepancy about the show and yet somehow Tolkien purists who we see everywhere didn't mention that they were obsessed with other trivial things what can you say? Fans just grasp onto the strangest little details. <laughs> that is so true. But I, I do know, I, I think your first Ignatz nomination was for some fairy tale, wasn't it? It was like for Tom of Bedlam, which is a comic adaptation of a medieval ballad poem. It was written by an anonymous author um, sometime maybe a little bit before the era of Shakespeare. And it's this poem that I just read and fell in love with. And I thought it had all these amazing visuals of just like demons and architecture and like there's like knights and fairies there's a battle there's a stabbing there's a lot going on in this like short 24 page work and it was the first big thing i put out after i graduated from zca and i was so excited to get an ignat's nom for it yeah well it's a really beautiful comic and it really caught my eye with your artwork and you know what a great artist you were and uh you your great touch with fantasy and interestingly of course 
you are now known for Genderqueer, which yes. is... A, a memoir, and contemporary, a, yeah. uh, Yes, and very, very powerful book that's really influenced a lot of people. Uh, and, of course, engendered a lot of really stupid... Uh, engendered. You see what I said <laughs> that there? amazing pun. Yeah, I got Yes, it. Yeah. yes. Uh, a lot of really uh, stupid uh, controversy. But we're not going to go there today. We're going to talk about the fact that on your Spotlight panel yesterday, you did mention that you would like to do fantasy comics again? Yes, I would love to. It's not going to be my next book, because that one is also going to be a contemporary. But I have, you know, like many fantasy nerds, I have this long-running idea, that story I came up with when I was 13. It has a dragon, it has a healer, it has a battle, it has a medieval-esque village. Um, and I've written many drafts of it. I've done it two different years. I've tried to write it as a prose novel during NaNoWriMo um, when I was in college. And I think at this point, the next time I take a stab at it, it will be as a graphic novel, and it will have a non-binary protagonist. Um, and this story is very dear to my heart, but it's also very long and weird and complicated and would need a lot of editorial help. So I don't know when that's coming, but it is something I'm very passionate about and I think about pretty regularly. So I don't know. Look out for that someday. Well, I, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that uh, to see what kind of comics you know you are making after a book that has gotten, you know, it's gotten so much attention. Yeah. And, is in the news and you're in the news and uh, I mean I, you were talking again on your spotlight about how just doing interviews like we're doing now takes up so much of your time that you don't always have time to make comics but you do have a full table full of mini comics so you are I still do. able to work and to, to keep getting stuff out there yes I just there have been just it's a couple of weeks it was like the week after um, like the midterm elections last year, and then the week after April of this year when ALA announced that Gender Queer had in fact been the number one most challenged book of the previous year, like those two weeks I got like yeah, so many requests that had I answered them all, I would have been literally just doing interviews all day and like not making any work. Um, but I do like try to do everything I can to sort of maintain my creative time and spend as much time at my desk drawing and listening to audiobooks and podcasts, which is, of course, my preferred activity. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you mentioned Tolkien, but I, I got the impression you're a bit of a fantasy nerd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read a lot. I, I've maintained a goal of reading 100 books a year since 2003, and a lot of it is genre stuff. You know, of course, all of the people that everyone has read, I love Octavia Butler. I love Ursula K. Le Guin. I love... Tamora Pierce and like all of these authors that have both carried me from my teen years and then into my adulthood. Um, and then I've also been gotten really into reading like very recent releases. A new favorite fantasy author is Ni Vo, a queer Vietnamese American writer who just put out a book called Siren Queen that I'm like obsessed with. And then Arcadia Martin's um, sci-fi duology, A Memory Called Empire is the first one. I loved those books. So it's, it's really, really exciting to read sci-fi and fantasy specifically by queer POC authors released in the last couple of years. There's so much good, new, fresh yeah. stuff coming out that feels really different than what was available when I was young. Right, right. And I mean, you know, science fiction has dealt with uh, with gender, with gender yes. transformation, actually. Yeah. You know, they were way ahead of the All curve. the way back to The Left Hand of Darkness, that's, one of the first books that really looked at, like, non-binary identity stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, did you? When did you first encounter that book? I read that in high school, and I loved it, and it had a big impact on me. I definitely read it as a utopian novel, which most people do, but not... I think the part that hit me, of course, was, like, the gender stuff when I read it as a teen. I don't know. That's that's a book I would love. I need, I need you to give it a reread. It's so good, and I haven't read it probably for at least 15 years. Yeah, yeah. So what is it about Tolkien that, that appealed to you? Because he's, he's my main he's my main guy, i got to be honest. I mean, he's great. I mean, obviously, I deeply relate to The Hobbits. 
I too just want to live in a cozy little hole and eat five meals a day and chat with my friends and be in a garden. And his just his writing about nature particularly fits me. I grew up way out in the country and his descriptions of just of plains and forests and grass and trees and skies. Like when you read all of those many chapters where they're just walking and walking and walking, you can tell this author too has walked miles and miles over countryside. There's just like a sort of realism to his descriptions of land yeah. that I feel is missing from a lot of other type of fantasy writing. And I, it just really, it really does it for me. He was a naturist, no question yes. about it. I mean, he was kind of obsessed with trees. Oh, and, yeah. And if you, like, throughout the work, there's just so much tree imagery and yes. tree mythology. And, um, you know, he abs you know he hated industrialization. And he hated, like, cutting down forests and all that kind of stuff, which is why some of the, some of the narrative about uh, his work now is really risible if you actually understand Tolkien. I agree, and it's like if he were living in our climate change era, I am very, I'm very certain that he would be speaking out against deforestation, about against climate change, and he would be talking about preserving wetlands and wildlife and like all of those topics which I also think are very relevant to today and are interwoven through fantasy and real life is like the preservation of nature and the destruction of nature at the hand of industry, which is yeah. what we see at the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We are dealing with that white scale constantly. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any, another novel? I mean, you mentioned Octavia Butler or several authors. Is there any other books that really have struck you and, you know, like you, you, their themes really resonated with you? Oh my gosh. I don't know if this is like a themes resonated with me, but I'm currently obsessed with the Lock Tomb series by Tamsin Mirror. Uh, lesbian necromancers in space. They're pretty dark um, and they deal a lot with apocalypse and end of the worlds and conversations about death and endings um, but they're also just like so voicey and well written and the characters are so interesting and engaging and just like like everything from like kind to mean to nasty to smart to funny to soft and like I <laughs> I bought Note of the Ninth, the third one, before this SPX trip, and I tried to finish it before I got here, but I couldn't, and so I'm carrying around this heavy hardback <laughs> new release on the plane. I stayed up till 2 a.m. the first night I was here, obsessed with this novel. So yeah, those have got me hooked. Well, I'm really impressed by your ability to read actual prose books, um, because that's something that I have lost entirely. I read comics. Not as many as I should. I read the internet way too much. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I'm gonna think I'm gonna try to follow in your footsteps a bit and go back to reading good old fantasy books because it feels good. It feels good to read a book, right? It really does. So, well, if you are reading a book, I do recommend you should read Genderqueer. It is a really good book. Uh, Maya, thank you so much for taking a little time to chat with us today. Always a pleasure. And there will be more to come. <laughs>